Welcome back to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's up, man? Hanging in there. We got a uh, second half of the schedule coming up. I know we're going to talk about that today, as well as what's been going on with the Raptors. Some good, some bad. Uh, mostly good, though. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff to cover today. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's all about perspective. I feel like I was just saying this uh, with my guy Andy Mack over on the Fan 590, but he talked about just the disappointment of like finally climbing to get to 500 and then falling right back below the Raptors just coming off two straight losses to the Sixers and the Heat, which there's nothing to feel bad about. The Sixers are the number one team in the East and the Heat are playing very well as of late. I was going to say they've been hot, but that's a little corny. But still, the Heat have been playing very well as of late. But, you know, thinking about being 2-8 and eight earlier in the year, the fact that, you know, the Raptors have come in, they, they were over 500 for a second. Now they were a game under 500 at the time of recording, 16-17. and 17. So I think we now see who the Raptors actually are. Um, they're, they're, they're looking like a, they're going to be a problem to deal with in the postseason. And uh, the good is definitely outweighing the bad, for sure, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, they had strung together a couple wins, even the games they're losing. You know, it, it's sometimes it's tough to quantify what's a good and a bad loss. But I feel like even the games they're losing have been good losses aside from that Minnesota loss. That's the only one that really comes to mind that, yeah. you know, you probably shouldn't let that one slip away. But um, I think all in all, we're like you said, we're starting to see, you know, at the beginning of the season, they're playing way below expectations yeah. and they haven't necessarily, I mean, had any points of the season where they're playing way above expectations, but I think we are finally starting to see them kind of catch a middle ground. And this is the team that they really are. And, you know, it's, it's been tough because they've had a lot of injuries and they're trying to work with new lineups. They've been, you know, deploying that small ball lineup and it's tough to get any sort of continuity there because Kyle Lowry was in and out of the lineup. OG was in and out of the lineup, you know, trying to figure out what to do with Norman Powell in the starting lineup and all that. So I'm really excited to see now that players are starting to get healthy and the, the Raptors are starting to show who they really are. I'm excited to start to see what the ceiling of this team could really be as we look forward to the second half of the season. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, we say this every year. The injuries are seem like a perpetual issue with this team. And I think the flip side of having to play without a player, which is crazy, like there's the, that number of, of how well the team plays without Kyle Lowry. Um, but then there's the difficulty of reincorporating that guy back into the lineup because teams just have to get back used to having that guy around. And I also think uh, more than anything, the effort is, is what we associate with this team. Um, you know, whether they're down late and they just don't give up and don't quit and just they just not they're not an easy out, whether it's uh, we saw it in the postseason, they're not an easy team to eliminate and, and they're not an easy team to beat. You know, you might be up 10 or 12 with two minutes left, but this Raptors team is going to continue to press. They're going to try and steal before they foul. They're going to hit some tough shots and then they're just going to make you play to the final buzzer. So more than anything, I think that's the most encouraging thing about this team. It's got its identity back. And I think a lot had to do with them figuring out. Uh, what their year is going to look like. Are they going to return back to Toronto? Are they going to stay in Tampa the entire year? So now that there's a little more certainty with that, um, I think that they can kind of, I don't say, I won't say get completely comfortable in a temporary home, but understand that that's going to be their home through the second half of the season, which uh, is very, very prevalent now or very, uh, I guess, relevant now because uh, right as the first half of the season comes to an end, the NBA has recently announced the second half of the schedule, obviously, if you if to refresh you uh, because of the pandemic and the way the season has been uh, affected by that with postponed games and things of that nature, the, the league decided to schedule uh, to announce the schedule in two halves. So the Raptors had their first 37 games and will knock on wood. No games have been postponed uh, with only a few to go. Um, but their next 35 games, which begins on March 11th, 
in Tampa against the Atlanta Hawks was announced on Wednesday, February 24th. We're here recording on Thursday, February 25th uh, to catch you up with that. So the Raptors schedule, everybody's schedule in general, uh, the way it was rolled out, what was you know your first reactions or you have any uh, first impressions of the schedule rollout in general for the entire league? I think a couple of my first impressions is just a lot of tough Western Conference games coming up on the second half of the schedule for the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right off the bat, you look at it and the names that stick out, the Utah Jazz, the hottest team in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets, who have you know been much better after a slow start. Phoenix Suns are playing good basketball. The Portland Trailblazers, they're injury riddled, but Damian Lillard is lifting them to a level that you know the Blazers are just overachieving because of how well Damian Lillard's mm-hmm. playing. Uh, you got the Warriors, the Lakers twice. They finally have their matchups against the Clippers. It's it's going to be a grueling second half of the schedule, but I think it works out in the Raptors' favor. They happen to be playing their best basketball of the season as we're kind of getting into the all-star break into the second half of the season. And, you know, it's unfortunate that none of the Raptors are, are being invited to the all-star game this year. And, uh, you know, whether or not Fred Van Vliet deserved it or not, it's kind of a, a conversation of its own, but they're going to get some well-needed rest. I mean, yeah. when you look at it, the Raptors have not had, you know, much time to just kind of settle in. Like you said, they're, they weren't sure if they were staying in Tampa, maybe the second half of the season, they're going to be returning back to Toronto. And now that they know that they're staying in Tampa, you know, maybe they'll have an opportunity to kind of get away for a little bit uh, to take some time to themselves, rest up and get ready for that second half push where, you know, a lot of Western conference games on the schedule and the Raptors are going to have to get up for those games. If they're going to want to stay where they are in the Eastern conference playoff picture right now. Some of the stuff you've mentioned, it feels like a broken record. I feel like we say it all the time, but like, it had to have been within the last couple of weeks. I heard Pascal Siakam say he finally got a home in Tampa. Like this guy is, is expected to perform at an all-star or NBA level. And he's living out of a hotel 24 seven. Obviously it could be way worse perspectives, everything, but he's used to staying in, in a home that is tailored to his liking and having that routine. Um, and I think you know, those guys are creatures of habit. So now I think we see as they get more comfortable, especially having, like you mentioned, having, you know, a, a legitimate week of rest, you know, playing the, the final game before the break on March 4th and then getting back to action on March 11th, I think it's huge for them. Other thing you pointed out with those Western conference opponents, I mean, it's, it's unlucky, man. You know, there, there are six teams that the Raptors did not meet in the first half of the season. Um, one in the Eastern Conference, so they'll play Cleveland three times in the second half of the season, but got Denver twice, the Clippers twice, Lakers twice, Jazz twice, and the Thunder twice as well. Um, but but just looking at the Clippers and the Lakers and the Jazz, I mean, those are the top three teams in the Western Conference. And to, to face them twice when they're going to be playing for positioning in the Western Conference, the Jazz look every bit of unstoppable right now and and you know whether that will be sustainable in the postseason is another conversation for another time probably another form but um that that is what sticks out to me i know uh one thing that i I broke down over on nba.com please check it out if you have not already just some important things from the schedule uh but the fact that there's going to be 35 games played um but from march 11th to may 16th which is when the season ends the Raptors have eight back-to-backs, eight. They had five in the first half of the season, which is not a lot. And and I guess in a normal season, you end up having like, you know, 13, somewhere between, you know, 12 and 17 back-to-backs. But it, it just looks crazy to me, or it stood out to me because they played five in the first half of the season. Now they're playing eight in the second half. And, and back-to-backs haven't been very kind uh, to the Raptors this year. They, after losing to Miami, they are one and four on the second night of a back-to-back um, and they are three and two on the first end of back-to-back so far this year. So we'll see how that impacts them. But 
it's got to be tough. I think in the in like some of them, I'll just point out some of the back to backs too. Um, at home versus Washington, then they host the Lakers. But the tough one is May first and May second, which just so happens to be my birthday. Uh, Utah and the Lakers back to back as the season winds down. So that's tough, right? It's and I don't want to make it sound like it's any tougher for the Raptors than other teams in the NBA, but like it's just a cold hard fact that. Nick Nurse likes to play his best players a little bit more than other Mm -hmm. coaches in the NBA do. I mean, you look at their minutes distribution across, and I have it up in front of me, Fred Van Vliet, 36.7 minutes per game. Pascal Siakam, 35.8 minutes per game. Kyle Lowry, 34.4 minutes per game. OG Ananobi, 33.7 minutes per game. That's four players playing over 30 minutes per game, where a lot of their superstars, whether it's, you know, just getting rest or maybe it's they're playing, not playing in as many close games, so they don't need them down the stretch. It's just you look at the Raptors roster and the minutes distribution is is it's lopsided. And when you come to a back to back and we saw it last night, again, recording on Thursday after the Miami Heat loss last night on the second half of a back to back. A lot of those guys just look gassed by the end of the game and kind of you made a good point earlier of saying that, you know, the Raptors aren't a team that's going to give up like they were down by eight points at one point last night with I think under two minutes left and where so many teams in the NBA would just fold and kind of say, all right, well, we'll, we'll cut our losses here and move on. The Raptors are still full court pressing, trapping, trying to come up with steals. And they did eventually cut it down to, I think, three or four points within the final couple minutes and eventually came up short. But that just goes to say that, you know, if they're playing that hard every night and then they got eight back to backs coming up where these guys are going to be playing big minutes, you know, 30 plus minutes a game and not getting a ton of production from the bench, at least they haven't so far. And who knows if the Raptors are a team that might make a deal at the deadline to try and acquire a little more talent or whatnot. But it goes a little bit further when it comes to the Raptors in playing on back-to-backs because those starting five players and the five best players play so many minutes. So that's something that I'm concerned about. Maybe that's something that, you know, it could could relate to some of the injuries that they deal with and all that, and, you know, that type of thing. But it, it's a little bit concerning having eight back-to-backs, especially with the tough matchups that you just listed with those guys playing as many minutes as they do. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as far as that goes. And I don't know if this is the answer or not, but it'll be interesting to see if there is a corresponding roster move that they can make. They still have that free spot after releasing Alex Lynn earlier in the year. If they can bring in a guy who can be a death piece that can maybe uh, ease the burden on some of those guys who are logging heavy minutes. I don't know who that is, what that looks like, but that's certainly something to take into consideration. And it's interesting, too, because you there's there's two ends of the spectrum. You know, there's guys like... Uh, Coach, Coach Budenhoser in Milwaukee, who often gets criticized for not playing his guys enough. Um, you know, I think, you know, people will find a way to, to complain about it one way or another. But ultimately, you got to play your guys and it's been working for Nick Nurse. And, and, you know, in the long run, especially, you know, again, with the opportunity to rest over the week, maybe they can recalibrate and, you know, get this roster back, uh, you know, up to 100 percent or as close as possible. Get some practice time in, which is much needed and uh, keep going. One thing we mentioned, again, a couple of those teams that they, they, they uh, are set to face in the second half of the season a lot for the first time scott rafferty also broke that down over on nba.com so please check that out while you're at it as well um among those teams are the jazz the first meeting will be on march 19th uh at tampa which is crazy because that jazz game was the last game if i recall correctly before the nba shut down uh when the raptors went out there and had an impressive win and that so crazy to think because that that win and and getting a win in utah over them was like so it it was encouraging for me as the raptors prepare for the playoffs and they did just as much about as much as i expected them to do in the postseason but that win over that jazz team um is really what showed that and it's also crazy that you know again we're recording on february 25th we are approaching the one year 
anniversary or one year of the Raptors playing their last game at Scotiabank Arena. It was a loss to the Hornets uh, at the end of February last year. And it's been, it's crazy to think that they'll again be playing uh, in Tampa. So among the other uh, must-see games, Denver comes to Tampa for the first time on March 24th. Uh, OKC and Shea Gillis-Alexander and Lou Dort, uh, the Canadian duo who uh, are the future of the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise. They look to be in way better shape than I think a lot of people would have predicted. Um, and then two that you got to circle uh, on, on your calendar. Mark Gasol, the familiar face, he makes his first trip to face the Raptors um, after joining the Lakers on April 6th. And then the Clippers, Serge Ibaka and Kawhi, two familiar faces, May 4th, a part of that road trip. And then I think the Clippers are right back in Tampa not that much later. When you look at these must-see games or games that stand out, and there's some other uh, notable ones as well, you got one like specifically circled on your calendar that you just can't wait to see for for whatever reason? It might be just because it's the first real big game in the second half of the schedule, but that Utah Jazz game has me really excited. And yeah, jazzed up for it? I I, I think, yeah, jazzed up for it. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could say that. I, uh, I, I think it's because the Jazz are a team that is, beginning to prove themselves i mean they've been dominating like you said the entire nba they have more 20 point wins than some teams in the league have wins total and every time that i see a big game pop up on their schedule i get excited about it because it's another opportunity for them to prove themselves as a legitimate team and a legitimate contender this season for how well they've been playing and i just get excited to watch those big games come up and watch them continuously pass that test I mean, I remember when they had a matchup against Celtics coming up, I was excited about that. They played the Lakers last night. I was excited about that. They had games in the past couple of weeks against the, the Clippers and the Suns, and I was excited about those, and they've passed all of those tests. Well, they lost the Clippers game, but they've passed most yeah, of those tests. They split them. And it's just, I don't know if it's because, you know, and people are, I have seen people call them the DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry era, Toronto Raptors. Uh, we've seen people compare them to that Atlanta Hawks team that, you know, a lot of team basketball in 2015 or 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why there's a little bit of reasonable doubt behind how long can the Jazz sustain this. But it just gets me excited to see them uh, compete against some of the best teams in the NBA and continue to pass these tests. And it, it gets me excited to see the Raptors go against that team because, uh, I mean, the Raptors just play as hard as anybody else does. And even though they might not have the size to match up with someone like Rudy Gobert down low, I would look forward to watching OG and Anobi try and achieve something like that, playing against a player much bigger than him. So I think when I'm looking at the schedule as a whole, obviously the Lakers game stand out because Raptors Lakers games have always been a, a tight contested game. Most recent two late. champions. Right, exactly. And on top of that too, anytime LeBron's going up against the Raptors is always must see TV as well. And obviously the, the Kawhi Leonard return game with Serge Ibaka and everything like that. That's another one that gets me excited, but you know, maybe it's just because it's the first one that pops up at that Utah jazz game is one that I've circled right away. Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be a fun one. It'll be exciting, exciting to see how that uh, kind of plays out and unfolds. Um, you know, I, I think you know, just getting back to it, I think seeing you know what the rest is going to do for this team. Obviously, it's a kind of cliche, but that first game back against Atlanta is a big one. You know, I, I you know, you we talked about this Hawks game uh, at length, the first meeting between the two teams and how it didn't really go the way the Raptors would have wanted it to go. I think they're going to be looking to prove something and, and kind of make that one a distant memory. Um, so that'll be fun. Uh, it all, it's always fun when the, when the Raptors playing is DeMar DeRozan and the Spurs. They're, they're going to be in town or in Tampa uh, on April 14th as well. And it's also, it's also exciting, you know, with positive trends uh, or encouraging trends just as far as 
COVID-19. A lot of teams are, are welcoming more fans in. Uh, and, and I think we're we're getting to the point where it's about half the league is, is going to have fans here. And uh, I, I think Charlotte will be one of the next teams that they, they release a statement soon. So for the second half of the season, and uh, the, the Raptors will head to Charlotte after they play against the Hawks as well. So that'll be a good one to uh, catch. And just anytime you can watch one of the top rookies face anybody. So seeing LaMelo Ball again, try to prove himself against the Raptors when the Raptors head to Charlotte for that. And that brings you to another point because you look at the standings right now. Um, the Raptors are again, hovering around 500. Uh, but when you look at the standings, it, it seems like the top three teams in the East have kind of separated themselves from everybody else. So that's Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. But then after that, it's a free for all. It seems like Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, Miami, Boston, New York, Atlanta, and even Orlando are all within three games of, of one another. And, you know, look at the second half of the schedule and, and Toronto will be done. Toronto's already lost season series to the heat. They've lost season series to Boston, which is important, but there's some things that will need to be decided in the second half of the season. The Raptors play Atlanta twice. They've already won the season series with Charlotte, which works in their favor, have yet to play the bulls at the time of recording. They will meet, uh, right before the break, and then they play two more times in the second half of the season. Split with Indiana, so that they played the last game of the season against the Pacers, and that could have a lot of playoff implications, which even the subtext of it being Bjork Grin versus Nick Nurse makes that interesting as well. And uh, won the first meeting against the Knicks, and I didn't think we'd be talking about Knicks and playoff contention, but they meet two more times, so that'll be interesting as well. So as, as a subplot for the second half of the season, it'll be interesting to see uh, as time goes on, which one of these meetings uh, has playoff implications. And I guess my question to you is, do you think that the Raptors are going to kick themselves having lost season series to Miami and Boston? Do you think that'll come back to haunt them, or do you think they can help themselves by just taking care of business elsewhere? I think I, I think it could, but I almost want to bite my tongue because we had an entire podcast earlier this season talking about how the Raptors are going to be in the same conversation as you know the Knicks, the Cavaliers, the Hawks, and the Magic, <laughs> um, which at the time seemed like that was you know the direction they were headed in, and that's what their season was going to look like. But I mean, here we are. The Celtics have the same record as the Knicks at this point, and after they looked so good at the start of the season, they've come way back down. They've come, I don't even want to say back down to earth. It's been worse than that. Um, the Knicks have kind of maintained their level of play. You have the Hawks, who some nights they look like they could be the team that everyone thought they were going to be in the offseason. Other nights, uh, they look nothing of the sort. And then the Pacers have kind of just maintained uh, you know, an even keel throughout the entire season. So I think when you look at the teams that are around the Raptors in the playoffs, in where their season series might be able to make a difference or not. Um, I think it comes down to, you know, how jumbled that Eastern conference playoff picture is going to look in the second half of the season right now, they've only played 36 games. So like you said, you have a lot of teams that are within a game, a half of a game of each other and every win and loss changes their position in the standings. I'm curious to see what that looks like, you know, 60 games into the season with only 12 games left to play, um, you know, cause it's at the 60 game point, maybe teams start to separate themselves a little bit more and it's yeah. not as much of a jumbled mess in the middle. So I, I, while I do think that, you know, if the Raptors are up against the Celtics and the heat for playoff seating and they lost that season series, obviously it's going to bite them in the butt and it's going to, you know, they're going to wish they had some of those games back at the beginning of the year. But at the same time, I think that it's really just about taking care of business in the second half of the season, because right now the Raptors are firmly in the playoff picture, not in that playoff play in range. Yeah. And I think that, as the season goes on, we're going to start to see some of these teams kind of continue to identify who they really are, whether the ups and downs 
um, put, place teams like the Hawks below that playing range or right in that playout playing range, kind of seeing who the real Boston Celtics are, who the real Miami Heat are. I think we're still kind of figuring these things out only 36 games into the season. So I think just watching to see where the Raptors kind of solidify themselves in that group of, you know, five or six teams is really going to be something to watch in the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. A wise person once said you can't trip off of what's behind you. So you can't look back at those games. You can only look forward and see how you can help yourselves. And I like the way you pointed it out, too. The only thing they can really focus on if they're going to hover around this middle area, if those three teams at the top have really established themselves as head and shoulders above the West or just rest or just shoulders above the rest, if you're talking about the Bucks. Um just don't fall into the playing range. I think nobody wants to be in that seven to 10 range. You can stay above then. I think in a year like this, anything really goes because we saw how the Raptors played against the Bucks. Like, is it really that big of an L if you fall to six and you play the Bucks in the first round? I don't think the Raptors are going to be shaking in their boots if that is how it plays out for them. Elsewhere in the league, All-Star Reserves were announced this week. Big shout out to the first time All-Stars. Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Zion Williamson. Did I miss anybody? I think that's all. Those guys. Those four Those four are the first-time All-Stars this year. One notable omission of potential first-time All-Stars was none other than Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet. He spoke on it a little bit, said he was disappointed, but also had the perspective saying, this is not the last time I will be up for All-Star consideration. I know we talked about it before. It's just so hard. You know, when you look at it and people always say, oh, if this guy got snubbed, who you who are you replacing him with? And I, I'm sure the easy answer is Zach Levine. But Zach Levine is putting up just, just impeccable numbers this season. And he's got the Bulls, you know, in conversations we didn't think the Bulls would be in this year. So I think it's very well, much deserved credit for all the guys that were named. What were your what was your reaction to the, to the reserves? Anything you would change or did it look just about right to you? I personally had uh, DeMonta Sabonis in over. Um, Randall? No, I or had Vuce, Julius Vucevic. Uh, Vucevic. Sorry, Vucevic, yeah. yeah. I had I originally had Demont Sabonis in over Vucevic. Um, I had Trey Young in over Zach Levine too, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not taking anything from away from Zach Levine. He's yeah. been incredible this season, like you said. You know, everyone always clamored on, oh, if he's a fit, you know, be more efficient, be more of a passer, do this, do that, and he's doing everything that people said he couldn't do, and he deserves that All Star spot. Uh, just as much as anybody else. Yeah. But I, I feel like my reaction with the whole Fred Van Vliet situation is that the timing of the All-Star Reserves being announced is unfortunate because I truly believe that, you know, if the All-Star Reserves were due a week later or, you know, even a week and a half later, Fred Van Vliet may have found his way on the roster because yeah. the Raptors are playing better. He's obviously played a huge role in that this entire season with, you know, games that Kyle Lowry's missed, keeping this team uh, moving right along after a slow start. His numbers have been great. He's been unbelievable on the defensive side of the ball, leads the league in steals, he's knocked down clutch shots, set the franchise record for scoring this year. I mean, the guy's done anything you could ask for out of an all-star, and it's really tough that the voting ended up being where it was because I truly believe that if the ballots were due a week later, Fred VanVleet might have seen his name on the roster. But I like the way that he answered the question. I like the way that he kind of approached it of saying, like you said, uh, he's going to be back. And I yeah. don't have any hesitations about that. And I truly think that next year, Fred Van Vliet will be a first-time All-Star. I think he was very close this year, even after a slow start for the Raptors. And I think that next season, he'll get that first All-Star nod. Um, and, you know, it's just like we were talking about before, it's an opportunity for him to get rested and focus on the second half of the season. So that's encouraging. But obviously, that's something that he's going to want to check off of his career bucket list as, you know, the best undrafted player of all time as he's trying to make his way into that round into that realm. So... I think that next year will be Fred Fred Van Vliet's first All Star appearance. 
And other thing I thought about all-star appearances and you speaking of timing of everything. Well, first of all, the last time there's been a Canadian all-star was Steve Nash in 2012. Timing, we were recording this less than 24 hours after Shea Gillis-Alexander explodes for 42 points against the Spurs and then Lou Dort hits the game winner. Uh, so it was somebody tweeted that, that the Thunder are becoming Canada's team or maybe it's their, their secondary team with you know a guy from Hamilton and a guy from Montreal leading the way. But that being said, it, it feels like it's going to be a first-time All-Star. We're on the cusp of it. Um, there's a couple guys in the Western Conference, which is just tough to go out there uh, and make it work. But you look at OKC, you see Shea. You look at Denver, you see Jamal Murray. You look in Golden State and you see Andrew Wiggins. Who do you think will snap that drought? Because they're right on the cusp of it happening. But who is Canada's next All-Star? Is it is it is the guy in OKC? Is he in Denver? What are you thinking? I think that performance from Shea last night was almost like a – um, I mean, you've heard of all-star snub revenge games yeah. and I almost feel like that career high 42 point performance was like a snubbed from being mentioned as an all-star snub revenge. <laughs> yeah. Game for yeah, Shea. That sounds because right. his name should have been in the conversation more than it really was. When you look at his numbers, when you look at, you know, what he's doing with the roster that's around him, it's incredible. Yeah. He's having a career year and he's, he's been the guy and he's the guy and he's proving that he can be the guy. He's their franchise cornerstone moving forward. There's no if, ands or buts about it. So there is part of me that wants to say it's Shea Gilgis Alexander, but there's also part of me that is like Jamal Murray is the most hot and cold. Like when he is hot, he is red hot. As we saw the other night with that, that 50 high 50 crazy. point performance. It's historic. Historic. I mean, the guy shot over 80% from the field scoring 50 it's points. Nuts. It's insane. It was the second most no free throws, right? 50, no free throw attempts. First player in NBA history to have 50 points in a game with no free throw attempts. And it was the second most efficient 50 point game um, aside, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. It was the third most efficient 50 point game, but the second player to do so aside from Wilt Chamberlain, which I mean, anytime your name is in a conversation with Wilt, Absolutely. you're doing something right. Absolutely. But I think that the thing with the Nuggets is that they got off to a slow start as well. And that didn't warrant two all-star spots for that team. And Jamal Murray got off to a slow start and he's starting to heat up a little bit here as we're entering the second half of the season. And I think that everyone after his time in the bubble kind of expected him to take that leap to all-star him this year. And when the Nuggets got out to a slow start and it didn't warrant that second all-star spot and, and Jamal Murray wasn't really playing at an all-star level, that's where he got weeded out this year. But I really do feel like next year could be Jamal Murray's time because if he plays the way that it looks like he's going to continue to play in the second half of the season and carry that momentum into next year, Denver's not getting any older. They're still one of the youngest teams in the league. Him and Jokic are going to be, you know, arguably the best duo in the Western Conference for a little bit here. Um, and I think that when the Nuggets start to see their name pop up more towards the one or two seed in the Western Conference, if that's the case next year, Jamal Murray might get that all-star nod before Shea, but Shea was pretty damn close this year. Yeah. I thought that he honestly could have been an all-star. He could have been one. I think he deserved his name in the conversation just as much as Mike Conley did, DeMar DeRozan did, Devin Booker did. Um, but I, I do think that Jamal Murray, just because of the volatility of how high and low he can be, he might be Canada's next all-star. I, I get that for sure. And it's funny if you like, if you're a fan of square numbers, Wiggins is 26, Jamal Murray's 24, Shea is 22. And then you got RJ Barrett coming up next. He's 20. So there there's, there's four guys who, uh, it's going to be sooner rather than later. Then we'll see somebody, uh, that we'll see somebody representing Canada on the all-star stage, all-star game, interesting, unique Format this year, Sunday, March 7th, going to have the skills challenge and the three-point contest pregame. Then the game's going to be played 
Elam ending again, which was super fun last year. Dunk contest at halftime. First half season has flown by. It's March. It's been a year since the NBA was normal. It's been a year since the world was normal. It's pretty crazy that we're here now. But uh, we're here now. So are you excited about All-Star? I know it's, you know, it's always exciting. So it'll be fun to see. Now that now that we've seen the rosters, we see that, like, you know, they're going to have the draft soon. So, like, All-Star is here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I can't wait for the draft. Watching KD and LeBron draft those teams is going to be a lot of fun. Just seeing, yeah. It's always cool to see where players end up and – I think that this year, the three-point contest and the dunk contest actually has a chance to have a little more juice. And my reasoning for that being that they're going to do, the NBA is going to do everything that they can to take players that are already playing in the all-star game and place them in these skills competitions. So it might force players like Zion Williamson, who already said that he's not ruling out doing the dunk contest this year, after previously saying that he probably won't do the dunk contest at any point in his career. Maybe all of a sudden, this is the kind of perfect storm. I don't want to call it a perfect storm because obviously it is far from that. Yeah. This is just the only situation that could kind of make something like that happen where it might force Zion's hand a little bit to enter the dunk contest. We're seeing Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell as guys that are already like, yeah, I want to do the three point contest. So the NBA is going to do everything they can to get these guys into these that are already going to Atlanta into these skills challenges. And I think it just might, you know, kind of raise the level of those events even higher. And then, like you said, last year's all-star game, with the Elon ending is one of the best all-star games that we've seen in our lifetime. So I'm excited to see how that plays out as well. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be exciting, man. And like thinking about those guys who were participating beforehand in three-point contests, it's like warming up anyway. So they shouldn't have too big of a problem with it. As the field is announced for the skills challenge and a three-point contest and the dunk contest, we'll keep you posted with that over on NBA.com. Lock in with us for that, as well as some first half takeaways as the Raptors uh, close the first half of the season. One more thing, actually, I thought about Raptors, and, and I'm putting you on spot because I haven't thought about it either. Uh, but a report came out from Philly today uh, re- regarding Philly's own, North Philly's own, Kyle Lowry um, and some potential trade suitors, Philadelphia 76ers being one of them. What are your thoughts on that? I, that's just that's it. That that's the question right there. What are your thoughts on that? Like poten- the potential of him landing somewhere else. Um, I think he's earned that right. If that if it comes to that, if if it's a mutual decision, that it's it's best he goes elsewhere. But we've seen Toronto media say that don't look too much into it until you hear something that directly comes with Lowry instead of speculation. So is it just speculation to you, or do you think where there's smoke, there's fire? I feel like it's still speculation just because I cannot see the Grote, the greatest Raptor yeah, of all right. time, anywhere else but Toronto. It would just, it would look weird to see at this point in his career, it would look weird to see him in any other jersey besides a Raptors jersey. And with the way the Raptors are playing as of late, I have a hard time believing that they're going to sell Kyle Lowry at this point. But I do want to say that Kyle Lowry, if he is available, if the Raptors have made him available behind the scenes, he becomes the ultimate trade piece in a trade deadline that right now doesn't necessarily look like there's a lot of firepower there. I mean, like if you add him to the LA Clippers, that team is the best team in the Western conference. I think they're better than I, I I just bit my tongue for a second, but I'm actually just going to say, I think they're better than the, they could be better than the Lakers. I'm going to say could be better than Lakers uh, to backtrack there a little bit, but like, think about that, him reuniting with Serge and, and with Kawhi and Paul George, that's a scary sight. And then you, talk about philly obviously that's a place that he would love to play that's home mm-hmm. what is the i mean the 76ers for basically the entire time of the ben simmons joel Embiid era one of their biggest issues is having another playmaking shot creator alongside ben simmons right now they have shake milton looking like you know a, a very valuable very valuable as a stretch but a valuable bench piece yeah. who's playing a high level of basketball imagine if that's kyle lowry playing shake milton's minutes that's yeah, that's scary and i mean they're pushing it as 
the surefire best team in the Eastern Conference if you don't already think that they are. So yeah. I think the thing that's interesting, I, I don't think that necessarily where there's smoke, there's fire with the Kyle Lowry trade rumors. I think he's someone that it kind of makes sense with his contract that he could potentially be moved. But with the way the Raptors are playing lately, I don't see it happening. But if he does get moved, the team that acquires Kyle Lowry is all of a sudden entering their name into you know that surefire top tier of a team that will 100% be competing for an NBA title this year. Yeah, it's so cool to see the respect being put on his name now because I know in the years past it was like, oh, he can't get it done in the postseason, yada, yada, yada. Now he's won one, and people know that he knows how to win a championship and know that he is that player that brings your team from being a fringe contender to a legitimate title contender and a prospective favorite, whether it's in the Eastern or Western Conference. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Again, we'll have you covered with that if any any breaking news comes on that front over on NBA.com as well but again first half of the season is winding down so we'll have some first half takeaways back here on the raptors pod table podcast as well so keep it locked in with that as the raptors prepare for the second half of the season and look to make a playoff push otherwise keep it locked in for everything raptors everything canada basketball and everything second half of the nba season with the raptors pod table podcast for kyle irving i'm gil mcgregor thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time